Welcome again, everyone, to our Bible study tonight. And tonight we'll be starting an exciting study of the book of Ephesians, um, a book that some theologians have referred to as the queen of the epistles. It's, it's almost like the crown jewel of all of Paul's writings. So it has a lot of technical things for us and also some very exciting truths and mysteries uncovered for us to dive into. Um, very exciting, looking forward to studying this book. So far, we have studied four of Paul's letters already, Romans, Galatians, Colossians, Philippians. Generally speaking, we've seen some kind of pattern, right? Developing in those books. Um, and that's where I want us to begin tonight. I want to, before we jump into anything about Ephesians, I want to hear your thoughts about the book and also about Paul's letters in general, you know? What's, do you notice the pattern of the books already? How do you receive the pattern of the books? What's, what um, macro trends, I would say, do you, do you um, pick up from Paul's letters so far? I think this is useful for us as we try to decipher the things that Ephesians is saying. Or maybe you already have other thoughts on Ephesians. I'm sure all of us have read it at some point. What is it that stands out to you? Yeah, but the floor is for us now. Feel free to, to take the floor. Yes. I think one of the patterns I've seen in Paul's books is like the emphasis on prayer. One, And then I've also seen the emphasis on relationship with people as in how to practicalize those kind of, you know, people relationships. And also the part of knowing who you are in Christ knowing your standing with God, knowing that you were once this way and now you are this way because this person intervened and changed your status from here to here. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, emphasis on, you know, who you were, who you, who you are and who you're going to be or what you're going to be, which is like him. And then the whole emphasis on imitating Christ, imitating, you know, his um, character, his works, I think I'm seeing, you know, traces of that, you know, in, in Paul's writing. And it's just, you know, encouraging just to see that, you know, he's consistent in all his letters. Yeah. And then the book of Ephesians, of course, I mean, I've read it. I mean, I even read it some do, like two days ago. And uh, some parts were close to me at first. You know, it was like, what is this guy trying to say? But I mean, when I read it the last time, it was like something really opened up. You know, especially with the first first two chapters where we're talking about how God raised us together with Christ and then um made sorry, made us alive with in Christ and with Christ, you know, well, Ephesians chapter two anyway, there's this with Christ and in Christ thing that I was confused about at first, but I'm sure that you're going to tease it out eventually. So yeah, that's my story. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for your story. Um, any any other macro trends that we observe from the book, from Paul's letter? Yeah. From yes, mm -hmm. yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. We can. So for me, some of the things that stand out for me in his letters is giving and um, oneness in the church. Everyone trying to operate with one mind towards one another. Um, for them to also know how they ought to behave themselves in the church and um, relate with one another, just like Stephanie said. So I think Paul's letters, probably because he was addressing most of them to the churches, 
is just more about how the real church of God should really be. And um, that's what I really see. That's what I think is the common trend among all his letters. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I think that you are both definitely right. And there are many other points you could say. Um, speaking about macro trends in Paul's letters, you find that Paul always tries to address existential questions, right? Such as what's the purpose of life? What's the meaning of life? How are we saved? Um, what's the essence of morality? Um, on what basis do we stand? More philosophical or existential questions. But then he always bridges it into the practical, right? And the realistic. So we always see that dichotomy. And Stephanie mentioned that prayer is one recurring theme. Paul um, continuously presents prayer as a way to bridge you know, the existential with the practical. It's the way to take what is spiritual and um, enforce it in the physical realm, as it were. So that's a, that's a macro theme that you find all through Paul's letters and everything else that you have mentioned. I want you to keep these points in mind because when we get to what might be difficult verses or terminologies in the book of Ephesians, like we said, it's quite a technical book. When we get to those verses, it will be necessary that you have a big picture because if you're reading only chapter one and you're reading something like predestination, for example, you might be confused as to how that sort of topic balances out itself, but you have to keep the big picture of the entire letter in mind to understand the burden that Paul had for a subject like predestination or calling or, or being chosen or, you know, these very conflicting terms in modern Christianity, okay? So I think we can start off with some kind of summary of the book. The thing is that there is no real summary to give or historical background to give to this particular book itself. If you remember when we studied the book of Colossians, we did highlight that Paul wrote different kinds of letters. One, one kind of letter was the occasional letter. And we said the occasional letter was, was um, triggered by occasional needs in the church that Paul needed to address. And it turned out that some of those needs were doctrinal, like we found in Galatians, in Romans, in Colossians. But like in Philippians, in Philippians, we found that some of those needs are also practical, like the need for unity, they need to encourage two women who had labored in the gospel, but who were at odds with each other to come into some form of unity. And Paul tried to weave out um, the doctrinal implication of our salvation to present them a solid reason for putting aside their differences and to present us um, a joy that can outlast circumstances, outlast people, outlast things, and also defeat anxiety all at once. So, those are what we call occasional letters, but we also did mention that Paul also wrote what we call general letters. And so those general letters may, may have been addressed to a particular church, as it were, but it's not exactly clear that they were um, targeted at just one church. They are, they are primarily for general distribution. So Efficient is one of those, is one of those books that we can definitely call a general letter. Um, actually, the, the earliest manuscripts of this of this um, of this letter was not addressed. Did not have the title efficient, but but later manuscripts, um, a few centuries later, showed up that that indicated that this letter was written to the efficient. 
But even though it's written to the, to the saints in Ephesus, like Paul says in verse one of the book, you discover that Paul, which is unlike him, didn't send greetings to anyone, right? Like, and that's interesting considering the fact that Ephesus is one of the few churches in the New Testament that we know a lot about from the New Testament. Like, at least there is some kind of documentation in scripture about that church. So if there's any church where Paul should have said, greet this person or greet that person, you know, or um, it should have been Ephesus. So it's clear that um, he didn't intend that this, that the content and the scope of this letter will target only one church, but rather to a group of churches who existed in Ephesus and of course, way beyond Ephesus. And that's why if you look at the book, the book does not address any particular um, doctrinal problems, right? It doesn't address any practical problems either in the church. Rather, it is a full, it's, it's a full-blown exploration and examination of the gospel of Christ to believers. Now, it's important because Ephesians reads quite differently from the book of Romans, right? Romans, almost like, like Romans sets, I wouldn't say the Magna Carta, but it sets out the thesis, I would say, of faith, you know? Romans is the, is the first book of the New Testament that explores the gospel in detail but, but Paul's approach towards um, exploring the gospel was targeted was was influenced by the problem he was trying to address in that church right part of which was a Jewish gentile divide in that church and that's why he took pains to show that whether you're Jewish or you're gentile you have come under the wrath of God and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God so in a sense, you can say that Romans is the gospel to the unbeliever. You know, you want to build the foundation of, of, of universal sin, of imputed sin, of legal sin. And you also want to lay the foundation of um, positional righteousness, legal righteousness. And that's basically the dichotomy that Paul tried to handle in that book before he started talking about the main issues that made him write the book more towards the end of the book. But in Ephesians, Paul is not trying to convert you to become a Christian. Paul is writing to people who have, who have received what he calls the seal of salvation, meaning that there is an originality, there's an authenticity to their faith. And basically, he wants to re represent the gospel to them. And this is something he said in, in, in the book of Romans, that he was eager to preach the gospel to the Romans. If you remember in Romans chapter 1, and we said that Christians need to hear the gospel, actually, not just unbelievers. And so Ephesians is that uh, magna carta of our inheritance in Christ. I call it the overflowing inheritance. This, this, this book is, a, is about how to be rich. This book is your bank statement. If you want to um, have an appreciation of what your worth is in the spirit, Ephesians is the place to begin. But one thing we also see in Ephesians is... I'm using this word dichotomy a lot, but it's probably what it is, right? We see this dichotomy between what God has done and the responsibility that comes upon us because of what God has done. And this dichotomy is so important in understanding words like predestination, you know, and being chosen before time because Ephesians does not, does not as a book come from the perspective that God has predetermined everything and so you just go on with your life and whatever happens will happen. Ephesians comes from the perspective that God has predetermined some things 
And the impact of that is that you and I are now supposed to, 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 to take up certain postures, as it were, that will enable us to come into the fullness of the reality of what God has done. And Ephesians hopes to, hopes to not, not just give us a vision for our lives and our own riches, but to give us the universal vision of the grace of God so that we can keep that universal vision ahead of us and, and stay motivated on the path of righteousness that we have been called to um, pursue. So there are several ways that you can divide the book. So what I've just said is one way to divide the book. So the first three chapters um, essentially focus on on what we have, have been made in Christ, the riches that have been assigned to us in Christ, you know, our relationship to God in Christ. It's about the purpose of God and everything that God did to include us in Christ, to make us sufficient in Christ. It talks about the salvation that God works inside of us, right? It talks about positional things such as forgiveness of sin, redemption, justification, and the sovereign choice of God. But then the second half of the book, which we find from chapter four to chapter six, talks about our responsibility. It tells us that we need to walk worthy of our calling. It tells us that we need to, we need to war. Um, and this warfare is not against flesh and blood. It tells us that um, our relationship, our vertical relationship to God is supposed to um, water down to a to our horizontal relationship at all levels of society. Um, it, it, it reminds us about our call to holiness and the need for sanctification. And essentially, it, it shows us that even though there is a sovereign God, there is human responsibility. And reminds us that the totality of our lives is what will be on the judgment seat of Christ when he comes. It's not just um, a part of our lives, but the totality of it. And Paul's vision is that the fullness of our lives will be continually powered by the, by the Holy Spirit. 